0: Hi, my name is Kira Byrne. I am the co-CEO of Green Hour Planet, and this is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast.
1: Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, where we highlight the strength of our city, the spirit of our people, and share your stories of compassion. Welcome back to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and today's episode is near and dear to my heart. I think you are really going to be inspired and just enjoy the conversation today. Before we get into it, I do have a question for you, and that is, have you affirmed the Charter for Compassion? Visit our website, CompassionateLV.org, and take a look Our guests hopefully have inspired you to make the world a more compassionate place to live, work, and play. And by affirming this charter, you make a public declaration that that is your mission too. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review. Your rating and review helps others to find this podcast and ultimately helps to further our mission to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place to live, work, and play. Now to today's guest. Kira Byrne is a documentary filmmaker and entrepreneur who set up and ran a film production company, Lion Television, with offices in LA and New York. During that time, she managed over 60 employees and produced hundreds of films a year for PBS, the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, and the list goes on. A native of Ireland, Kira has traveled the world and decided it's her mission to leave a positive impact on the planet. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of Green Ireland, and she is an Obama Fellow. Yes, an Obama fellow. We are so lucky to have her on the show today. You are going to enjoy the conversation. So without further ado, let's get into it. Kira, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I love your work. I love your mission and the things that you're doing. I was able to hear you speak a few, wow, oh, it's been months now. And I've seen you with the Jamison Fellowship or fellow. So it's just really a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Will
1: absolutely so my first question it's the hardest one I promise and it's what I ask every guest I put in a lot of thought and really tried to make something profound and deep and amazing and it's simply this who are you and how do you define compassion
0: Wow that is a very deep profound question Uh, who am I oh lord okay I feel like my idea about who I am and who people are in general is very connected to when do they feel alive most. So I feel alive most when I'm outside connected to nature. I feel alive when I'm in the garden with students. I feel alive when I'm helping people get access to fresh food. So I know that I am someone who believes that if I connect people to the planet, it will help feed their mind, bodies, and souls. So that's who I am. And it connects to compassion because I, I truly believe that happiness is directly connected to health. And so you, you, it's difficult to be happy, it's difficult to be joyful, if you don't have your health, if you're not healthy. And when I talk about health, I, I, I'm talking about health in a broader sense. I'm talking about healthy mind and feeling, you know, uh, peace of mind. I'm talking about a healthy body, filling your body full of good foods. And I'm talking about, you know, getting enough physical activity and movement because that's what our bodies are meant to do. So I think um, my, my, Sense of compassion and the way I practice compassion is by urging people and making pathways for them to be able to connect to the planet.
1: That is absolutely fantastic. And I love how you say happiness is connected to health because it really, really is. And the connection with that mind body piece is something that comes up on the show quite often. So I love your definition of compassion. How is green our planet? employing compassion?
0: Uh, That's a great question. Well, um, Greener Planet practices compassion through all our work, really. Um, We have different teams. Uh, We have a team of farmers. And the farmers work in the schools, in the school gardens with students. And they teach students science and they teach students gardening. They teach students how to grow healthy food. And then our chefs teach the students how to prepare that healthy food into delicious meals. And then we have a hydroponics team who teach students how to grow food indoors. So, in combination, we're providing students different ways of uh, empowering them to grow their own food. And it's, of course, healthy food. And then, with our chef team showing them and their families actually how to uh, prepare the food into delicious meals, it's making the whole seed. To table connection for them and by doing that like i said we're empowering people to be healthy we're taking helping them take back the power for controlling their food source because too often in certain neighborhoods there is not access to fresh food There aren't supermarkets with fresh food available. And those neighborhoods deserve to have fresh food, just like everybody. So why not grow your own? And that's what we're saying to students. Hey, let us show you how to grow your own food. And then guess what? We're giving you the power back. We're taking it back from the corporations
1: yeah that's that's beautiful and you know what we skipped ahead a little bit because we didn't even talk about what green our planet is so can you give us a quick overview of what it is you do how you got started and the things that you're doing now
0: oh, of course so uh kim Macquarie, our co-ceo and my partner in business and life um we started green Our planet in 2013 here in southern nevada and kim actually he grew up in Las Vegas, went to Robert E. Lake Elementary or Middle School and Valley High School. And he never had access to a school garden, but he was super interested in nature and the environment. Um, He ended up being a biologist anthropologist. And so when we came back to Las Vegas in 2013, uh, we decided to start Greener Planet and to help schools uh, get outdoor gardens Going in their schools so students could learn science in a way that's engaging and fun, and learn about health at the same time, and be outside because you know if school is joyful, every student will go to school.
1: That's so true.
0: Yeah, there's no nobody's going to skip school if it's a blast, right? So we are of the mind that school should be a blast. Learning should be really fun, and so there's no better way to make learning fun than having kids, you know, plant food. Grow the food. Uh, do you run the composting system? Run farmers markets. All of that stuff is just so much fun, and do the chef demos, cook the food, and so on. So, um, we that's when we started, and since 2013, we've built 188 school gardens. We're impacting over 140,000 students, and that makes us one of the largest school garden programs in the United States, which is kind of funny, right? Because we're here we are in the middle of the Mojave Desert, you know, just off the Las Vegas Strip. We're probably the last place that anybody would expect one of the largest school garden programs to be. So we like that. We like that. We're surprised. I think Las Vegas tends to surprise people in many ways, and this is just one other way that we are surprising people. Um, and the thing I always say, which I think is super important to keep in mind, is that you know at Greener Planet, we have a you know, fantastic team and they are here to support the schools in every way that we can from growing their food and the hydroponics and the chef program, farmers markets, the financial literacy, the bankers we work with. But at the end of the day, the people who really implement the program are the teachers. So we train the teachers in the STEM curricula, we train them to be able to go outside once a week with their students and teach the students outside. And so at the end of the day, I think it's a real testament to just how much our teachers and our principals and our school district cares about the students that they have such a huge school garden program because having a garden is not easy. You know, it's a whole extra thing to take care of. It's, you know, we always say, especially when you get your garden first, it's like getting a puppy. You know, you go through those really difficult months of training the puppy and, and it's the same with the garden. We, Our team trains the teachers and the students how to grow the food, how to run the garden efficiently, how to do the chef demos. But that takes a while. It takes extra effort from the teachers. It takes extra effort and accommodation from the principals. And yet here they are. They all want to do it. And in fact, our superintendent, Superintendent Jara, said he wants a garden at every school in the school district. So again. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's a testament to him and his team that they are um, so committed to the garden program.
1: Wow. So every school, the goal is to have every school have a garden in the middle of the desert. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> <right>. <laughs> That yeah, is such have, a Vegas thing.
0: Yeah, it's such a Vegas thing. So we have, uh, like I said, 188, so we're almost at 200. So we'll have 150 schools more to go.
1: Wow! So you're at almost two hundred schools, and how is this? How is this even happening? How did it get started? Who said yes? Let's do this.
0: Um, Who said yes? Let's do this. Well, I think Kim and myself said yes. Let's do this. I didn't, I mean, I remember in 2013 thinking it would be a really audacious goal to get the program in 50 schools. I just thought, wow, 50 is crazy. I don't know if we can really do 50, but we'll try. And we blasted through 50 and now we're hitting 200. So we also work with schools beyond Nevada. We do our hydroponics program. New York. We work with um, a community in Vinita, Alaska, uh, 70 miles north of the Arctic Circle. We work in Montana, um, Arkansas, Florida. So we, uh, St. Louis. So we work with teachers all across the country with our hydroponics program.
1: That's beautiful. Now, talk a little bit about hydroponics because that is. One of those innovative things that I think we've heard the word, but may not really understand what it is. So what is the difference between the traditional garden and the hydroponics?
0: Oh, yeah, great question. So hydroponics is the art of growing food inside, first of all, and you control all the systems. So For example, um, you control the, instead of sunlight, you use light inside. You don't use soil, so it's a way of growing food without soil. And essentially what it is, there's various kinds of systems, but the goal is to dip roots in nutrient-rich water. So however that water actually goes by the roots, whether it's aeroponically or aquaponically uh, or hydroponically, just that action of the water with the nutrient solution passing by the roots allows the plants to grow. So um, so that's what hydroponics is. Our program is for K through five and the curriculum in each grade level, the students build different systems. So in K, they're building a very simple cracky system. While like in grade three, they're building a nutrient film technique, which is using gravity to allow the water to move past the roots. In grade four, they're using aeroponics. And then grade five, we have large scale uh, commercial grade systems so that the fifth graders can actually grow enough food to have farmers markets so they're growing like hundreds of heads of lettuce or whatever it is they're growing you know herbs and so on and they get to sell those so that's what hydroponics is what's great about hydroponics are many things number one you can grow food all year round so if you have a garden right now you might have noticed that you can't grow lettuces right because it's getting too hot you're not going to be able to grow tomatoes after you know once june hits however in your hydroponic system Uh, where we actually are growing a lot of food hydroponically right now in our various homes and we're growing you know kale all the winter greens kale and herbs and basil and tomatoes and all those things we're growing them right now because it doesn't matter about the weather we're indoors the second thing is the hydroponics uses 80 to 90 percent less water than traditional agriculture because you know if you're using a drip irrigation outside in your garden The water comes out of the hole and then it disappears however in hydroponics we're constantly recycling the water Um, the third thing is we're controlling the light so outside you have 10 to 12 hours of light every day depending on where your garden is situated maybe you're getting six to eight hours of sunlight however in our hydroponic system here in our house we have 18 hours of sunlight we just put the lights on the plants and so we're harvesting vegetables every three weeks So it's growing almost twice as fast because we're controlling the sunlight. So hydroponics in essence is the future of farming. That doesn't mean that traditional agriculture is going to go away. However, as the population on the planet increases to over 9 billion, we actually don't have enough land to feed that number of people. And so we're going to have to revert to hydroponics. And the good thing is the students, in Southern Nevada will be ready (laughs) and they will be very employable because they will have been trained how to grow the food hydroponically.
1: So this is bigger than just kids playing in the dirt on recess. This is something that creates businesses, that creates future entrepreneurs. This is something that really helps kids to think creatively and into the future in a sustainable way is what I'm hearing.
0: Mm, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So essentially what we're doing is we're connecting students to nature and showing them, guess what? You can make your livelihood out of harnessing nature, growing food. Um, you can become healthier by being connected to the planet mentally and physically. And you can feed your family and your community by being, harness- like being connected to the planet, whether it's managing nature in your hydroponic system inside or growing food outside.
1: I have teachers and principals and administrators that listen to this podcast and right now they're saying okay how do i get this to my school so don't keep them waiting how do they connect with you
0: (laughs) awesome so uh it's very easy um essentially you go to our website greenourplanet.org and you click on the link there it says apply for a garden click on that and you can also click when you open that a form comes up and you can click on hydroponics pollinator gardens chef program whatever it is you're interested in, and then we'll be in touch.
1: Awesome, thank you for that. I am sitting here thrilled because, uh, just we'll, we'll go into my life for a moment here. I have a garden outside that doesn't grow, and my husband has a garden in his office that does. His is the hydroponic. <laughs> so oh, it's, a, it's a bit different. And I, I'm like, I don't know how to do all of this stuff, but it, it's really, really fun. And you're absolutely right. It grows much more quickly and all times of the year. So I'm glad that this is something available to our students here. Now, you've also touched you know, also, on something. I will just ahead.
0: point out right behind you, it looks like you have a fish tank.
1: I do, yes.
0: Because you can turn your fish tank into uh, growing food. You can simply. Yeah, I'm going to send you a video. So during, since um, COVID happened, uh, our farmers are still taking care of the school gardens and we're delivering the food from the gardens to families in need. But at the same time, we're actually creating video lessons online that we've been sharing with teachers and students. One of them is how to turn your fish tank into a food producing system. I'm going to send it to you.
1: I can't wait to watch (laughs) that. I am so excited.
0: Yeah, your fish can create uh, very good food for you.
1: Wonderful. I'm all about that 360 kind of uh, methodology here. So thank you for that. Now, you touched on something that I think is important for us to really be serious about. And that is the fact that our population is trending towards close to 9 billion. And we don't have the resources to sustain that amount of lives with our traditional farming. How is it that this concept can revolutionize how we produce food and really fix some of those inequities that we're seeing in the system? In Vegas, there are miles and miles of homes that don't have access to fresh vegetables and fruits in in a grocery store. Is this something that can help solve that problem? And if so, how?
0: Yes, I believe that hydroponics and outdoor gardening can both play a role in helping solve some of the inequities that we see uh, with regard to access to fresh food. There are so many communities, like we work with so many schools that are in food deserts, and a food desert is where a school or um, your home is... Uh, more than two miles away from fresh food, meaning a supermarket. So we work with schools where there are no supermarkets for five miles, six miles. And so when you consider that not everybody in Las Vegas has a car, how do we expect these people to, and these communities to actually get their fresh food? They don't. And so... If if they have access to outdoor space where they can grow food or if they have enough food or enough space indoors where they can actually build hydroponic system, they can grow their own food. And it's very possible. Right now online, if you go online, you know, you can buy hydroponic systems and some are better than others. We've tested nearly all of them. (laughs) Um, And... What's interesting is, and what we've been doing over the last few weeks since the COVID and the school closures, is we've been teaching students how to build their own hydroponic system. Because all you need are pipes and water and nutrient solution and the seeds, and then you can grow your own food indoors. It's not super complicated. So if you go to our website and you click on Virtual Academy, you'll see there's tons, you can click on hydroponics, you'll see there's a whole bunch of videos there, how to build simple hydroponic systems You know in your own house so for example i got this um tub from the dollar store for a dollar and it's like about this size and i just put uh 18 holes in it and then i put in little yogurt cartons and i put seeds in the yogurt cartons put nutrient solution and bam i've got 18 heads of lettuce
1: wow and that addresses right yeah that addresses really what we're talking about as food justice I think that that's something that a lot of people that are more affluent or even just, just okay don't really consider because going to get food isn't an issue. But you just gave us, for a few dollars, fresh lettuce, mm-hmm. 18 head. That's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And so, And so all we have to do is show the students how to do it. Right. And once we show them, then they can do it. No problem. And they lo- they love to- anything where you're building things and doing hands-on. They really love that. And they can experiment. They can maybe try grow. We've only so far grown lettuce in that system, but I don't see why you couldn't grow tomatoes, green onions, try carrots, you know, um, but we can certainly experiment. But certainly greens and herbs you could grow. And you know how expensive herbs are? It's crazy, right? Yes, yes. $34 and you get this tiny little packet of herbs. So you can you know, grow your basil in your yogurt cup and you keep harvesting it and it just keeps on giving. You just keep harvesting, make your pesto and keep on harvesting. Cilantro, same thing. You know, so um, yeah, so it's possible for all of us. And I think at the heart of why I do what I do is I'm extremely passionate. About food justice I know I, I think this it's inter- it's so interesting being a human right so and I always imagine you know, imagine that you've come from outside the Milky Way galaxy and you're like on a magic carpet and you're flying down and you, you hit into our solar system and you go past Pluto and there's nothing growing there. There's no life there. And then you pass by Mars and it's all very, you know, red and dry and dusty. And then maybe you nip over to Jupiter and there's all these gases. And then finally you hit planet earth and this planet earth is just exploding with life and you know animals and humans and trees and the rainforest and you know there's so much life on our planet and this life you know the plant life harnesses the power of the sun through their leaves and then they give us that energy right by eating the plants we're ingesting sunlight and that's how we operate we're all operating on sunlight even if you eat a burger that's one of the lessons we do If you eat a burger, you're eating sunlight. And why is that? Because the cows ate grass, and then we, you know, killed the cows to make the burger, but essentially, at the essence of the burger is grass and sunlight. And so, you know, as this alien on the carpet coming into planet Earth, you know, this alien has got to be amazed at how tremendously rich and amazing our planet is. And it's connecting people to that magic and understanding that the life force on our planet is available for all of us and that we, we have access to food. We just need to empower ourselves, right? And so that's what I'm really passionate about. Connecting, because this food is so healthy, right? It, we just, you know, building McDonald's in low-income neighborhoods makes me crazy. Why not build community gardens,
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that that is something that should be on billboards, build community gardens, because it's healthier. And one of the things that I think personally, I wouldn't say causes anxiety, I'll say slight discomfort. Um, No, it actually is something I'm, I'm very serious about, is the fact that here in the United States, more people are dying from obesity, and you go across the seas, and they're dying from starvation so it's not that there's a lack of resource a lack of food it's a distribution and access issue and i think food justice really really speaks to that
0: yeah no i agree with you and that's a really good point will about obesity you know in many ways when you look into obesity it's uh connected to starvation in that you know the the food that you eat as a human and you might ingest and you end up being obese is not necessarily nutritionally dense. So you can eat a lot of food and you might feel full and sated, but it's not nutritionally dense food. So it's not giving you the vitamins and the minerals that your body needs to be healthy. And I think that, I think a lot of people might You know, see obese people and think, oh, they've got so much access to, you know, food, but it doesn't mean that it's good food. And I think it's very important that we make that distinction because being obese is just as challenging as starving, right? Because being obese... you it's impossible to be happy, right? Because you're struggling to get around, you're struggling with your life, and likely you don't have the right vitamins and minerals, which is why your body's not processing food properly, to be healthy. And if you're not healthy, you know, you're, it's difficult to be happy and joyful. And that's what we're here for, right? As humans, we should be here to have a blast on the planet. There's so much fun to be had. <laughs> but yes, it's theory. not fun if you don't have access to fresh food.
1: Yeah. And that's that healthy, happy connection you, you mentioned earlier, for sure. And thank you so much for bringing up that great point about the nutrition piece, because you're absolutely right. Even those that may appear to be well-fed may not be, at least with the nutrition aspect. So that is so important for everyone to understand. Thank you for bringing that up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I work with Three Square, the food bank, and um they are they fully support our gardens. And- you know, one of the main reasons is they explained to me that sometimes in their effort to get food to people, they don't always have the healthiest food, right? Sometimes it's canned and whatnot, and it can have certain amounts of vitamins and minerals and stuff, but they, they totally understand that they're often missing the fresh food component and that their goal overall is not just feeding people, it's feeding people nutritionally dense foods. And so they like for example i think i mentioned and i sent you the film about um the that right now our farmers are harvesting food from the school gardens and they're delivering it to um honey salt and graffiti bow and uh cafe jolt and the, the, the food is being made into healthy meals that are distributed to families in need and so that addition of the healthy food from the gardens which has been grown by students is uh, critical right so it's not enough to to just give people who don't have enough food canned food they deserve healthy delicious food that will nourish them
1: has there been thought to partnerships like you're doing with the school now with providing those those tubs for the lettuce for homes. So it's part of their pickup where they do get the cans and the box foods, maybe getting seed packets and nutrients.
0: Will, it's a great idea. <laughs> I'd love to do that. That would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, if we got a grant and we're able to buy thousands of those, which wouldn't cost much money, right? It's a few dollars to build those hydroponic systems. We could absolutely give them out you know, where the families are picking up food and then they can just look at the video to, to figure out how to grow the food. And then, hey, presto, they'd be off.
1: We'll have We're to ready. talk about that after the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to get my grant writing done here. So oh, I, nice. I love that.
0: If anybody's so, listening to this podcast, get in touch with right. Yes. He will let me know. So I've
1: got a big word for you.
0: Okay. Obama. Oh, okay.
1: Let's talk about it.
0: Uh, okay. Um, well, I have to admit that it is the honor of my life to be an Obama Fellow. I, The first president I got to vote for in the United States, as you know, I'm from Ireland originally, I became an American citizen in 2006. And how amazing, the first president I got to vote for was President Obama. And I was so excited that I helped, you know, was part of the the uh, masses that helped put President Obama, the first African-American president for the United States, that I helped put him there, and then to actually now get to meet him and his amazing wife, Michelle Obama, and to work with them and to have them support our work has been extraordinary. And um, we had a Zoom call with President Obama recently where, I mean, he's just so amazing, like so nice That he would even think, oh, you know, I better have a Zoom call with my fellows and give them a pep talk, (laughs) you know, with COVID happening, and he was just extraordinary. It was it was amazing, you know, to hear him give us guidance and at the same time encouragement, and you know, I'm excited. It was interesting. One of the things he said, which I'm really excited about, was you know we talked about this idea that you know when really big Things like COVID and the pandemic happen, like the um, the Great Depression or the Great Recession. There are moments in time when the whole system is shaken, and where people get to see the real inequities. You know, where we get to see who's really suffering. Like um, communities of color have much higher uh, death rate. Um, where um, you know, looking at who's working on the front lines, looking at who has access to healthcare. Those things are really stark right now. And we're all hoping that the right people see that, right? And start to fix those systems. And he said to us, we have to be part of that, right? The fellows, all of us, all of, all of us working in our communities to make our communities better. But it's an opportunity because after... Uh, these big shakeups like this the world can be different it's not as stuck it's not as stultified people are more willing and open to really galvanizing and changing things and making things better so it's a great moment in time to to help create change and one of the things he said about creating that change because we were like well how How are we going to do it how can we as as really help make this impact and he was very clear that one of the key Uh, elements or one of the key tools right now to use is storytelling and he said you know different people with different perspectives on what's happening are going to tell the story and we have to as fellows and you know others in our community we have to show that we have to be really clear look at these inequities right now look at the people who are dying because it's grim right we're going to face another 50,000 people are going to die in the next two months that's like almost as many in the whole entire Vietnam War in, you know, 58,000 people died in the Vietnam War over 10 years, 58 Amer- Americans. And here we are in two months, we're going to le- lose another 50,000 Americans. And who yeah. are they? And what is their story? And how could we have prevented that? And why don't we have health care for all? You know, right. when you look at what happened in Germany, they also had a very high Uh, rate of infections, but they had a much lower death rate. And why? Because everybody in Germany has access to healthcare. So I think these extraordinary times allow us to see really clearly the inequities and let's build a better world. I'm excited about that. That's what gives me hope. When I get up in the morning and I'm sitting at my desk, I'm like, yes, you know, this is our moment. This is the moment for all of us to come together and create a better America. I'm really excited about that.
1: Me too, and one of the things that I always just kind of throw out to people when I meet them, well, I don't meet them on the street as much now, but I always ask is, how do you reimagine Vegas? What What does the Vegas of the future look like for you? So I'll ask you that question. How do you reimagine Vegas?
0: Gardens, gardens everywhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how am I not surprised by that? Right?
0: <laughs> gardens on rooftop, Gar- community gardens in all neighborhoods. Um, people everywhere growing their own food, having farmers markets, not being as reliant on bringing in food from other places and feeling empowered by that and feeling excited by it and sharing recipes and people from different cultures, sharing the different kinds of food and recipes that they enjoy that come from their countries. And I think that's, I think, I think food is so powerful. And that when we sit down and break bread with people that we establish different kinds of relationships than if we're just you know talking to them in a meeting but actually breaking their bread and sharing you know nutritious meal with somebody creates a whole other level of connection and i think building those connections through healthy sustainable gardening is very powerful
1: wonderful i i absolutely agree and um, just for clarification for the listening audience I'm social distancing. It's not that I'm not talking to people anymore. (laughs) I've got one more question for you before we wrap up today. And that is, what compassionate practices can people begin to employ right now, given the information you've shared with us today?
0: Okay, so I believe that the number one thing for all of us to do, and I'm doing this at the moment and find it very helpful, is meditating and i feel that you know we all know there's a lot of suffering happening as a result of covid19 there are many people who are in situations that are very uncomfortable Uh, they don't have enough food there there's violence in the home um, they've lost their jobs so so many people are facing so many challenges for those of us who are lucky enough to not face those challenges spending time every day reflecting kind of and going deep I think is really important because I feel almost like this is a pause in time for a moment in time. The world is not going to be crazy and frenetic. And what does that mean to me as a human? And also thinking, you know, I personally feel frustrated I'm not able to help more people who are struggling and suffering. And so I send them powerful prayerful thoughts and I I'm with them for a few moments every day and in my heart. And I feel like if we all do that, I think that could be very powerful. And then also for ourselves, like healing ourselves, reflecting and reflecting on what have we gained as a result of COVID, time with family, time to make healthy food, time to grow things, um, time to be with each other and then what we've lost, and then just reflecting and making sure that we don't just blast through this moment in time without thinking. So I think reflection, meditation, journaling, I think all that stuff's very, very powerful right now.
1: Absolutely. I think that's something that we can definitely carry with us. Being with people in our hearts. I love how you put that Because of course, with the distance, it is hard for a lot of people, uh, especially our kids right now, so used to being with their friends and they don't have those outlets, but knowing that they can hold those relationships in that space, in their heart and in their mind, I think is a great compassionate practice. So thank you for sharing that.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
1: So you told us how to connect with your organization. How do people connect with you?
0: Oh, that's easy. So it's my name, C I A R A, Kira, at greenourplanet.org.
1: Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Yes. so if you guys have any questions, you know, feel free to check the website first and then (laughs) reach out to Kira. So I want to thank you again for being on the show today. You are truly a light in this world, and the work that you are doing is so vital and so inspirational. Thank you for all that you've done in the past and that you will continue to do. Our planet truly will be more green, literally, because (laughs) of your work, and you'll sustain our species for eons to come because of your, your work in this time. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Will. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed chatting with you.
1: This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by the Jameson Foundation in partnership with the Moonridge Group. There are so many incredible things happening in our world today. And so many people have inspirational stories to share. So if you are one of those people, this is your platform. Email me at Will at with Will. Just use the subject line compassionate LV and let me know your story. I would love to have you on the show or to feature your story in a future episode. Be sure to subscribe and if you haven't already, leave a five-star review. Your review and your rating helps others to find this podcast and helps to further the mission to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place to live, work, and play. Today, Kira gave us such hope, such inspiration. She encouraged us to practice meditation, to reflect, to hold people in our hearts. What are your practices of compassion? I would love to hear them and to share them on the show. In case you didn't know, Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast is now on YouTube. If you want to not only hear these awesome stories, but see our incredible guests, subscribe to the visual podcast on YouTube. Just search Compassionate LV Podcast with Will Rucker and the channel will pop right up. Love and compassion aren't luxuries, they are necessities. Live the golden rule and treat others the way you would want to be treated. Together, we can make a difference. Together, we will make the world a more compassionate place. Know that you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Be well, my friends, and we will meet again on the next episode of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast.